Hello, the internet, and welcome to season 203, episode 4 of Dirt Daily Zeitgeist, a production of iHeartRadio. This is a podcast where we take a deep dive into America's shared consciousness. Mm. It's Thursday, September 23rd, 2021. Uh, I'm trying to get like a Michael Buffer timber to my intro Mm. to this show. Uh, My name is Jack O'Brien, a.k.a. Vax him up, Joe. I'm about to vax him up, Joe. (laughs) That's what this mandate was intended to do. Some of them try to slide, but they can't slide this mandate. Some of them try to slide, but they can't. Because I'm a make it a make it a make it a make it a Mac daddy. I didn't change that last part because I do believe Joe Biden would like to refer to himself as a Mac daddy. I feel Not like daddy Mac. Yeah, Mac daddy, I feel like. Throw the Mac first. Mm-hmm. Anyways, that uh, AKA was courtesy of Quarantine Kids and uh, based on Warm It Up by Chris Cross. I'm thrilled to be joined, as always, by my co-host, Mr. Miles Gray! Every morning there's a ruler hanging from the corner of my girlfriend's four-post bed. I got the vaccine, so I see if I can answer, did my balls grow or they still <laughs> the same? Couldn't understand how Nikki worked it out. Once again, as predicted, left my balls all broken, filled with worthless cum. <laughs> this shit got me reeling, but I'm still here all breathing. Weigh my balls in pounds again. <laughs> Facebook said don't do it, but fuck suck, I do it again. Okay, shout out Woo. to Lex Luki, Mr. Lugubrious on Twitter for that yeah. one. Yeah, you'll get a Discord invite. You asked for one when you posted this, AK. Uh, wow. And the syllables. I love when people nail the syllable count. Nailed the to make syllables. The, you don't have to rush nothing and put double up on syllables. So shout out to you, Lex Luki. Yeah. I also like when they don't nail the syllables at all. Like, yeah. That's what this mandate was intended to do. <laughs> it's, but that's the beauty of it. It's, it's everything so malleable. Oh. Uh, but that was that was beautiful. Well done, Lex Lukey. Well done, Miles. Uh, really nailing that. Mark McGrath. I mean, when you see him every day, you know. Still, I still just respect the hell out of Mark McGrath for being the highest I've ever seen someone on TV. And it was on the Wendy Williams show. It was a daytime show. Yeah. Uh, and he when was you're on Wendy Williams. lying. <laughs> and you, when you're on Wendy Williams and you're the highest person on the show. <laughs> and he was, there to, he was there to talk about his newborn baby. <laughs> was this one where he's just like flying on up? Yeah, just like talking to middle. And he's just yeah. like, yeah, yeah. And then they hand me the baby and they're like, you want to cut the cord? And Whoa, it's just wild. Yeah. <laughs> and he's like, you know, the color of chalk, except his nose is bright red anyways miles Mm -hmm. we are thrilled to be joined in our third seat by one of the hosts of the wildly entertaining podcast ridiculous romance please welcome eli hey everybody hey what's going on eli very excited to be here oh wow yeah thrilled to have you yeah thanks for coming on thank you yeah no i've been uh a a long time listener first time guester of this show yeah wow yeah Okay, the name every episode. Uh, number one, uh, Jack and Miles go to the beach. Uh, number two, yes, uh, Jack and Miles go to the zoo. The one about mm-hmm. Mark. Number three, the one about Mark McGrath. Yeah. Yes, exactly. <laughs> one where Miles tries out for the Dodgers. Uh, the one where oh, that was a classic. 
That was classic, classic. classic. The Hawaii episode, obviously. Uh, yeah. One of the greats. When I had the lifts in my shoes when I tried out for that basketball team. Uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> and then the proposal. Honestly, that was sweet. You know, uh, yeah. I mind. mean, that's sappy, but yeah, you yeah. know, it felt a little bit unnatural for me, but it was what it was. You know? Every yeah. show's got it. And I said yes. So, yeah. you yeah. know, yeah. it worked out. We were on you... a break. <laughs> <laughs> the one where they were on a break. <laughs> Eli, what? Tell us. So, you know, I just uh, checked out the Lucy Desi episode. Oh, yeah. What What is the most kind of ridiculous romantic story that you've uh, uncovered? Oh, yeah. Let uh, people know generally about Ridiculous Romance. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So uh, Ridiculous Romance, it's sort of a little sister show to Ridiculous History, Ben Bowen Mm -hmm. and Noel Brown. Yeah, yeah. Mm. They're sort of creating the ridiculous universe of of various other ridiculous blank shows. And they came. Ben's an old friend of mine and Diana's. Noel, too. We've known them both for a long time. But Ben and Diana and I, amongst many other talented people, were in a sketch comedy theater troupe here in Atlanta for many years. And Ben came to us and said, hey, you guys are funny he thinks we're funny and you're married and maybe you guys should take on this topic of ridiculous weird bizarre couples and throuples and love affairs yeah. through history uh so yeah. we started digging and just yeah found some really really insane stories i mean you know we've got ones you've heard of like uh the bobbits which was yeah. uh, lorena bobbit and john wayne bobbit which Ended up being so much more intense and bizarre of a story, especially after the dark. whole incident. Yeah, yeah, very dark and uh, a classic. Yeah, a classic romance. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> really, yeah. really hits all the beats. Yeah, but uh, I would say some of the weirdest ones we've done. We recently did a story about Simon Park, who's a British politician who suddenly came out and said he has his whole life been having sex with an alien cat queen. And that it's causing some struggles in his own marriage to a human woman here on Earth. And that he basically met this alien when he was, he said she first came to him as a vision when he was in the womb, uh, which he Mm -hmm. remembers, and then visited him when he was five years old. And then many times throughout his life, and they've been mating and have an alien child together. This guy went on a different planet? Or is he having sex with a cat? He's having sex with the with the cat alien on their spaceship. They beam him up. Oh, okay. Okay, yeah. got it. But no animals are being harmed. As uh, far as good. we know. It's possible the whole right. thing is one big hallucination he's having in his bedroom, but we don't God think it got to that. Wow. Yeah. But he's currently uh, also, it seems like he's driving a big QAnon force. He does Zoom meetings uh, regularly with, like, after the January 6th thing, he launched from like 60,000 followers on YouTube to over 600,000. And that's okay. the latest. He shifted kind of into that conspiracy side Hell of yeah. things. Yeah. Wow. He's quite a character. All right. Yeah. Well, we are going to get to know you a little bit better in a moment. First, a couple of the things that we're going to be talking about later on in the episode uh, having to do with the news and the zeitgeist. We're going we're gonna to check in with Trump. I guess. Just have to. You know. And then we're going to do a positive story to add life back into our bodies mm-hmm. about some P- Pennsylvania high school students fighting back against uh, the the backlash to critical race theory and succeeding. We'll talk about Amazon's AI cameras that they've installed in uh, driver's vehicles that are, you know, just straight up Black Mirror episode, like not 
Like it, it easily could be a Black Mirror episode. Uh, so we'll talk about right. that. It's we'll like talk about we punished you for blinking while driving. Yeah, literally, uh, we punished you for checking your rearview mirror. Uh, we punished you for getting cut off. It's just yeah, they're turning people into like you know they're using like a financial cattle prod on people for doing things that are one hundred percent human. So we'll talk about that. We'll talk about employers realizing drug tests are fucking dumb. We will talk about Miles's just visceral hatred for tomatoes. It's not visceral <laughs> hatred. Oh, I know okay. you don't. I know. I know. Don't start. Don't don't put me in a box quite yet. But <laughs> I will. I'm not gonna lie. I've a I've a I've an up and down relationship with tomatoes. You have a beef with tomatoes. Not to yes. be confused with beef tomatoes. Beef the, steak, yeah. Yeah, beefsteak tomatoes, uh, in fact, some people call them. But yeah, the I, I'm 100% with you, actually, on on this. Uh, just the, yeah, we're, we're going to talk about raw tomatoes in particular. But it's mostly because this Duke student wrote a wonderfully worded yeah. diatribe against the tomato. Yeah, we need, to, we need to reach out to that Duke student. What a writer. All of that, plenty more. But first, Eli, we do like to ask our guests, what is something from your search history? Uh, let's see. Well, you mentioned our recent episode about Desi and Lucy. Not to plug the show too hard, but my entire Google search history for the last six months has been <laughs> various relationship stories throughout of time. Of course. But yeah. sort of like a, a spinoff factor that I found out that Desi Arnaz was drafted during World War II, which I thought was weird because he was not an American citizen at that point. And to me, at least this was news from my, uh, you know, Southern public education that foreign nationals could get drafted. Uh, yeah, just news to me. He was here from Cuba, and it was apparently pretty normal in World War II. They totally changed the laws so that foreign nationals could get drafted without being naturalized. And then it did not give them citizenship automatically. It's sort of, they sort of uh, dangled a carrot. It made it a little easier afterwards. Oh, but, so, yeah, it started three... so they've been doing it since back then. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. Hey, yeah. help us out with this war. It might it might it might do you good. I don't know, or it might not. We might have been I don't know, whatever. <laughs> we might, uh, uh -huh. psych. Yeah. Did yep. he did he actually enlist? He did. He uh actually broke his or he had a knee injury before he was able to go do training, but he still tried to go, but they classified him as uh you know, he was too injured to actually serve physically. So they had him directing USO shows. Wow. So he was injured uh, shortly before he went to start training. So they didn't qualify him for active service, but they ended up having him direct USO shows in California, which was like right, perfect okay. for him because he was already big in entertainment. He was doing, you know, this was before the show, Lyle Lucy, but he was huge in bands and the club scene and everybody kind of knew who he was. So and radio, I, right? Did It was a radio show before. Uh, uh, I Love Lucy was, but he wasn't involved yeah. until it went to television. God, uh, she oh, was okay. it was her and another actor who <laughs> CBS tried to bring on the show because they thought the idea of an interracial couple on TV was outrageous, of course. What? Yeah, no still way. is to some yeah. people on the yeah. earth today, yeah. <laughs> like into a Pelican Brief, for instance. And it was that was such we talked about this in the show, but that's so the executives kind of like projecting their own racism onto the country because they're saying Americans won't accept it. So Lucy yeah. and Desi went out and did a vaudeville show, the two of them, across the whole country. Everybody loved it. It was like the biggest thing in the country. And they came back and said, you know, no, Americans don't reject this. That's just you guys. Right. Right. 
Yeah. Back to that point about how the 1% is just saying like, this is what we want and this is what the world wants. Yeah. Meanwhile, right. 99% of you like, this is not what we asked for. Yeah. 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 But, you know, people aren't ready for a Denzel Washington sequel uh, is what I'm saying. <laughs> They're not ready to see Denzel kiss a white woman. Yes. Denzel can't kiss a white woman. And also like the equalizer, too. I'm just saying you're going to hit a single, not a home run on Ooh. that one, because uh, audiences are racist. And I know that because I'm racist. That was from <laughs> the, the Sony uh, hack uh, oh, yeah. from a from a producer who uh, claimed look, Denzel is my favorite actor. OK. I'm just saying. Look, I'd vote. That, I'd vote for him a third term. <laughs> uh, Eli, what is something you think is overrated? All right. Uh, so we're just meeting, and uh, I'm a lifelong vegetarian. By the vegetarian code, I have to tell you guys that. You know, within yes. 25 minutes of us meeting, of yes. course, kind of went but, over. To be honest. Yeah, I know it's a little late. I'm gonna get. <laughs> I think, uh, I'm I think gonna we're get 30 flagged. minutes in here. Eli. Are you <laughs> oh, sure boy. you're vegetarian? Uh oh. Miles and I were over here texting. I think this guy's vegetarian, though. Yeah. So, I mean, we yeah. had our suspicions. Yeah, like I try to make skin. it obvious. Look at his yeah. vegetarian skin. Oh, yeah. Yeah, there's an iron <laughs> All healthy here. and shit. <laughs> <laughs> He's glowing. So, what the fuck is this guy's deal? He has, like, an guy, inner this life. This guy, get him off. Get him off. <laughs> <laughs> well, I have, in recent years, decided that something very overrated to me is all the fake meats that have been coming out lately. The impossibles, the beyonds. Wow. Drives me crazy because, I mean, I think it's a little different for me because I grew up, like, I've effectively never eaten meat, so I'm not looking for a substitute. Sure. Mm -hmm. But uh, but it has bumped all the other options off of menus, uh, at least at least here in Atlanta oh, that I've seen. Like, black bean burgers, you know, uh, in-house veggie burgers, they're all gone. They've all, they're all impossible or beyond now. And uh, right. I just don't think it's really any good. And having grown up eating all the processed, hyper-processed, super salty fake meats that they put in the freezers, it doesn't taste that different from the stuff I had when I was a kid. So this revolutionary new thing, kind of a big letdown, I think. Once wow, I tried so it. Like, kind of like a, a bit, like, not, to, not to be disparaging, but like a mm -hmm. vegan sort of hipster take where it's like, I've been <laughs> yeah. off this stuff. Yeah. And look yeah, what exactly. it's doing. All the stuff that you love, it's nonsense. Right. I was vegetarian before it was cool. Yeah. Right. And how did uh, you wait? How did you become a vegetarian? This is a child like you decided as a child or no, my uh, my mom started when she was a teenager and raised mm -hmm. us that way. OK. So, yeah. Oh, so. so so you had a so you did have a moment of being a bit of an omnivore prior. No, to no. Like straight from when I was born vegetarian. Oh, shit. Time. Yeah. 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 I don't know what I misheard. Anyway. No, his <laughs> mom started. So, Miles, this is where uh, the old couple behind you in the movies explains what just happened. <laughs> so, his mom started when she was a teenager, Miles. Mm -hmm. But oh. then from the... Yeah. So, he the uh, Iron Man? <laughs> <laughs> okay. I get it uh, now. I got it. But so, the, I, I noticed, like, yeah, because I feel the, like, ground, like, those black bean or chickpea type burger patties have another person I know who's vegan mentioned this too, where they're like, there was nothing wrong with that. I was fine. I was fine yeah. until then. Yeah. Until, and then I guess it's, I guess this move, this push to bring omnivores more right. into the right. Consider eating vegan or veggie, veg, vegetable based, plant based. Which I appreciate. I've got friends who switched over and they're, they're glad to have something that, you know, reminds them of home, so to speak. But that's how I, I definitely like, I'm like, this is great. I, cause yeah. I think for me, it's more of, I don't have the discipline to acknowledge the, like, that it's a, a, a net positive for me right. and earth. <laughs> right. So I'm like, well, what do I get? Oh, okay. So I can still have the <laughs> feeling of a burger. 
And to be honest, like impossible, I think I like is because it's it's almost like mimicking indecipherable cheap beef <laughs> that I grew up eating like at football games. Like you weren't sure if it was beef to begin with. Yeah, you're like, I don't know, man. They said it's a burger. It's got cheese right. on it and like the yep. texture of meat. So let it roll. <laughs> yeah. What's uh like what's an underrated uh vegetarian food that people are like, you know, for me, being a vegetarian seems like an insurmountable, difficult thing to uh undertake. What right. what's like a staple that you think that is like delicious that we when I have that thought I'm not uh understanding? I mean Growing up, like really, once I started feeding myself, my you know, as a teenager and in my twenties, I was a very unhealthy vegetarian. People were like, "Oh, you're vegetarian? It must be so." And I'm like, "Cheese pizza and French fries are vegetarian." Yeah, that was a large part of my diet. It wasn't till like my late twenties I really kind of made some choices there and started trying to eat more than just bread and cheese all the time. Uh, so I mean, you know, I, I part of it I think is that you you start to like foods that you eat for a while. I've heard this from right. food scientists and stuff. You know, you go two weeks. If you don't like broccoli, you know, eat it for a few weeks and you will. And that sort of happened to me with things like Brussels sprouts that I didn't like as a kid. And now I, I've got five different recipes for Brussels sprouts that I yeah. probably eat three times a week. Yeah, nice. I, I, I cook mostly at home and, uh, and I try, just try to get creative with, you know, whatever ingredients I can. It's hard to pinpoint one specifically, but yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. All just right. buy a cabinet full of food and start dumping it in a pot. There you go. Olive oil, go. garlic, Jack. and rosemary will fix anything. Just yeah. buy a cabinet full of food, dump it in a pot, and yeah. see what you come up with. There you, you go. have no <laughs> idea how literally I'm going to take that. <laughs> They're like, wait, you take it out of the cans? <laughs> like, no, put the cans in the pot too. Yeah, no, the cans. That's your, uh, just take the labels off. <laughs> uh, what's something you think is underrated, Eli? Not to invite too much controversy, but phone calls. Mm -hmm. Okay. I, I get it. I get that texting is useful in a lot of situations. I probably 60-40 text the phone myself, but this kind of raw hatred that's come against the very idea of speaking on the phone in the yeah. last few years is really strange to me. It feels like a technological step backwards. They said, well, uh, you know, what if we don't have to write these letters and telegrams anymore and we could just speak our thoughts into another person's head directly? And that we sort of undid that. That's strange to me. Right. That it's like now I can do instant telegrams to a person's pocket right. telegram station. <laughs> yeah. And you're like, right. ah, fuck. Yeah. No, yeah, I definitely see like there is. I don't know if it's generation. I think because like as it for me as like a teenager or whatever, talking on the fucking landline yeah. was my blood. You right. know what I mean? There's no right. other way to, to communicate. I mean, there was AIM and shit like that, but the phone was like the next level because you could yeah. you could just leave the line open. You're both watching <laughs> a TV show, not talking for fucking 30 uh -huh. minutes straight, doing your homework and stuff like that. And I so I think part of me, I still I still have a love for those times. So I, I definitely, you know, I don't understand the hate for the phone. I guess if it's like for work or something, maybe oh, sure, that's yeah. right. But uh, other than that, come on now. Yeah. 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 I mean, you lose so much via over text like there's been studies that found that you know emails just don't try to fucking tell a joke in a work email because you are going to fail <laughs> people are not going yes. to get it right yep. you guys are right to kind of compare it to telegrams i read every text that i receive in the voice of a wistful civil war soldier writing home <laughs> wow. uh, like in a ken burns documentary so uh -huh. that that's just how my brain works and you say so. stop too i think as yes, I do. Yeah. I do. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, what else? How else do I read the periods out loud? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
Uh, I I agree. I'm on board. Great. But, you know, the this Gen Z audience of ours is going to yeah. tear you a new one, buddy. <laughs> Go for it. There's um, only three people in the world that'll still talk to me on the phone. Right. <laughs> so, yeah, which is also funny when I think about it, like, of the people, and I'm like, I call them, like, it's the same 10 people. Yeah. Yeah. You know? yeah. That's another level, though, of, like, friendship, though, too. Like, are you in the phone zone? Oh, the phone mm-hmm. zone, yeah. Because that's, like, when you know, you're like, I have to call this person. I right. have to talk to them voice to voice. Yeah. Oh, man, I'm stuck in the phone zone with this one guy. <laughs> oh, sucks, man. Sucks. Just get me to the text zone already. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I Do you guys, like, when do you fit in your phone calls? Like, my, my wife is really good at, like, staying in touch with people, my wife, uh, and she'll, like, call them when she's driving somewhere. Like, she's just, like, has a routine where she immediately, like, goes to her phone whenever there is, like a free moment where I would be listening to a podcast. Essentially she calls people right because podcast hosts are my friends. Mm -hmm. And so (laughs) that's me, Jack. Yeah. I have parasocial relationships, but I I, I don't really have a, a time for it. It usually happens on the weekends for me. Cause like I'm, I'll be like meandering and I'll get a text and then I'm like, fuck it. I just need a call to like, keep this thing going or half the time it'll, I'll just call because I I, I'm driving and I don't want to, I yeah. don't want to continue a conversation over text while it's more sometimes just born out of safety more than like, mm-hmm. I got to talk to this person. I'm like, yo, yo, I'm driving, man. Let's fucking let's talk about this shit in the car. Yeah. yeah so yeah. I don't have a routine. Eli, what about you? Mine's usually driving. That's mm-hmm. kind of yeah. my Yeah. Because it, you know, Atlanta, I think similarly to L.A., very car heavy city and it takes half an hour to get anywhere. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. All my podcasts come while I'm cooking or cleaning. Yeah. Mm. And then driving is uh, driving is phone calls. For the phone zone. Got it. Yep. Amazon would have a thing to say about that, as oh, yeah. we'll get to later. All right. Let's take a quick break, and we'll be right back. And we're back. And so Donald Trump suing the New York Times and his niece for uh, a mere $100 million uh, because they published that story about his taxes a while back. And I mean, this is I'm guessing since he is famous for uh, suing people all the time and was the president at the time that that was probably a fairly bulletproof story in terms of sourcing yeah but yeah it's it's interesting to like kind of hear the the substance of the complaint yeah because especially when you know like with reading the story like oh wow this dude uses all kinds of tricks even though it wasn't like there are certain years where people really wanted to see everything but what was clear is like oh he likes to fuck around with his taxes and how he sort of claims losses and things like that and in this beginning of the legal complaint that he filed it's it's meant to sound like Something more than these were documents that his niece had and just shared with the New York Times. Rather, quote, the defendants engaged in an insidious plot to obtain confidential and highly sensitive records, which they exploited for their own benefit and utilized as a means of falsely legitimizing their publicized works. The defendants actions were motivated by a personal vendetta and their desire to gain fame, notoriety, acclaim and a financial windfall and were further intended to advance their political agenda. It, this is the thing is he isn't denying the authentic, like the authenticity <laughs> or the veracity of these yeah, claims. Right. So fighting this lawsuit is more just like, that's true. 
<laughs> yeah. This is and like I'm the mad. cheating boy. <laughs> this is the cheating boyfriend being like he that you catch him and his his response is to claim that the person who told you about it is a hater, but like yeah. not not addressing the substance of the of the actual Yeah, accusation. rather than like, oh, can you it looks like you're cheating on your taxes. If you weren't, you'd be like, I'm not. That's 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 what? impossible. That's rather bullshit. than like, who told you that? Who said yeah. that? They're they fucking they just wanna take me down. They because I'm so cool. Yeah. His his niece, Mary Trump, responded she said, quote, I think he's a fucking loser and he's going to throw anything against the wall he can. It's desperation. The walls are closing Holy in shit, and he is throwing really anything that. against the wall that will stick, as is always the case with Donald. He'll try and change the subject. Amazing. I, mean, Dude, I think he's a fucking loser. <laughs> like, and she's not like that. Yet. It's funny to look, think of her and be like, he's a fucking loser, my uncle. Fuck this guy. So she ain't wow. scared. That's uh yeah that was not editorializing she that was her quote I think he is a fucking loser shout out to Mary Trump but yeah at the end of the day it's just an, another case where this person you know she she got these documents because of a dispute over like her grandfather and Donald's dad's like estate when he had passed or something so she had obtained these documents legally um sure. so like everything about this is just like. Hundred million, okay. Uh, guessing, guessing the bill, like she says, the, the the walls are closing in. Although I'm, I think we've yet to see the walls actually close yeah. in. Yeah, uh, please stop like, using that phrase, guys. Yeah. The like there are supercuts. I think I forget who did the supercut of all the MSNBC journalists being like, and the walls are closing in around Donald Trump. The walls oh, are closing God. in, and it's just never been true, or it is true, but he that is his. Like part of his natural state is to have the walls closing in around him. Yeah. Like that's how he right. uh, operates. It's, it's the same way with like for every anyone else looking, the walls closing in means he's going to prison right. or he is right. going on trial and he will be in a courtroom at a, in, in front of a jury or something like that. That's what I think most people are like, that would be the walls closing in. But everything's so incremental. It's mm -hmm. like the same thing when it's like they banned chokeholds. The lot, the walls are closing in on over policing. It's like, no, they're mm -hmm. fucking not. But yeah. I get maybe if your perspective is like, it's this giant room and they move yeah. an inch. Okay. Yeah. The walls are closing in on some level. Mm. Not in a satisfying way, though. As we talked about on yesterday's episode, the Trump campaign knew like from the start that the claims about election fraud were bullshit. Mm -hmm. Well, we're learning that his lawyers gave Mike Pence basically a six step guide to uh, rat fucking the election. Yeah. Like how how so close we actually two came. of checking in with Trump. Yeah. Part two. And then we'll check the fuck out. But this the, the, the whole point of this seemed to just be like to do a coup at light speed and just try right. and just proclaim all this shit and then figure it out after. Right. Um, but this main point, step three was. At the end, Pence announced this is from this uh, legal memo that was given to him from John Eastman, who is from the Federalist Society. OK, just so you can connect some dots to the people who are suggesting how we pack the courts are also giving sparks notes on how to fucking overthrow an election. Mm. Step three, quote, at the end, Pence announces that because of the ongoing disputes in the seven states, there are no electors that can be deemed validly appointed in those states. So the whole point was when they go when he was going to preside over that whole the certification, they would keep up this idea that 
in states like Arizona, Pennsylvania, et cetera, especially where people are like, we are the true electors of this state, that they would sort of jump on the back of that to say, like, it's being completely disputed. We don't know what to do with this. And then essentially kick it to the Congress or kick it to the House to then vote based on like each state representing like each each group of of Congress people or House members representing their state to cast their vote which would have given Trump an edge if they had taken out those other states. So it was just a very a very clear plan that they had. And the whole thing was that they said, while the the military might not have acted as quickly because a lot of politicians would have been like, this is absolute horseshit. They were counting on possible violence breaking out. The police, because they are 100% down with MAGA, being the enforcers or trying to quell a lot of this stuff, and then using that to declare martial law, possibly. So they had it. They were really thinking this entire fucking thing out, like how to do it while it's completely chaotic and inelegant and wouldn't hold up considering all the lawsuits that they lost on the way there. They were still willing to just to go there to bring mm-hmm. the country to that point. Mm-hmm. This is the exact scenario. There was a Radio Lab episode probably like six to eight months before the election. And this is the exact right. scenario they laid out that we talked about on this show oh, wow. that like it's almost like they heard that and were like, "Ooh, good idea, like that they would invalidate a chunk of the states. They would get people like rising up and, you know, doing violence. And then we'll just be like too close to call, guys. We're just going to have to X those out and look at what's left. And look at that. Huh. 233 to 232. Wow. We did it. So it's amazing yeah. the behind the scenes effort that's always going on here as opposed to Trump himself. Like I, I, I always imagine in these scenarios like Trump dozing off around step two as they're trying to explain <laughs> it to him. <laughs> right. Yeah. And yeah. then just being ushered into whatever room they need him in. Here you go. You're in right. charge again. Yeah. They, they, they did a condensed version for him with step one. You win. Uh-huh. And that's it. One step <laughs> plan, Mr. President. I love it. Go <laughs> execute. Whatever you got to do. But I think this is one of those things, too, where. Americans, especially, we talk about how we are constantly, you know, just in the fucking around phase and Mm. always reacting when we found out that this is another instance where we the fascism is basically taking over the Republican Party. So there's a there's a an entire political party that is invested in fascism and willing to go any length to stay in power. But like, quite literally through any fucking means and like the laws and, you know, the practices of this country be damned. And we still have Democrats who want to play like this bipartisan shit without really acknowledging these people don't give a fuck. They're right. right. They have they were looking at their their fucking notes to each other being like, this is how we steal an election we lost. And if (laughs) you want to then act like, well, we got to see if the filibuster, I mean, that could be really bad. What do you fucking think's going to happen if they steal it? They actually steal a fucking election. You're not, you're not going to have any fucking recourse. It's just right. going to be, they'll just throw you in jail or some shit because this is going to be like, you can tell by the way they want to meddle with education and things like that. They're trying to create a system where people don't ask questions and they go along with shit. And if you do, that's, it's, it's a problem for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the Federalist Society, again, has many members on the Supreme Court. So it's not it's not just in Congress that this is happening. They're they're closer than I think any 
sort of mainstream media outlet acknowledges. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And no one's I don't think many people are. I don't know, at least when this memo story came out, not many people were connecting the dots of John Eastman and the Federalist, the Federalist Society. Yeah. Because I because, again, I think because it's such a powerful institution in the Beltway, it's like, a I guess, for people inside, they weren't as making as big of a stink about it. I see. So I see more stories now, but it's just wild how it, how long it takes for people to be like, well, hold on and look who's telling him the person who's who's part of an organization that is like constantly thinking of how to realign our judicial system. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's uh, I, I feel like there's probably an instinct in the sort of centrist mainstream media to be like, well, those are the like Trumpists, but like they, they kind of put these characters in separate categories. Like there's the McConnells who are like standard Republicans and then there are the Trumpists and like only John Eastman's over on the side of the Trumpists. So like he like shouldn't be lumped in with or the Federalist Society shouldn't be lumped in with him. But like we got to Trump because of just unbelievable fucking rot in the original Republican Party, like before he came in and just swept it up like mm-hmm. that's they're all kind of on a continuum uh, ready to just do whatever it takes to stay in power. I think, like you said, Miles, just the total lack of opposition that they're facing to people on the yeah. left who are saying, oh, yeah, bipartisanship, that still exists, even though it's a one way street, yeah. which yeah. is, you know, completely counter what bipartisan is. Right. Yeah. It's like it's like playing fucking like blackjack with someone and like they're you catch them cheating all the time mm-hmm. and you're like, all right, let's play a big one. Let's do this for a million dollars right now. <laughs> and you're like, OK. And everyone's like, uh, okay. hey, hey, they fucking cheat, you idiot. Don't get involved okay. with them. And, or if you right. are, fucking make sure this shit is level. Because this, yeah. this, this, the person you are dealing with has made it clear how they're willing to get there. Mm-hmm. And not to say, you know, and, and I'm not trying to say that the uh, Democrats are ab- above any kind of criticism. But in this instance, like, comparatively, they need to, like, you know, they actually need to figure out how to protect this shitty system that we have. Or I guess maybe it just plays out and, you know, Americans are going to find themselves in a place where they have to now they found out. Right. And now it's too late. But I think this is one of those things like most likely to be in a fantasy world about what, you know, just because it didn't wasn't successful. doesn't mean it's still an ongoing threat. And just because that rally was a total wet fart last weekend for the justice for the J6 people, they're moving into different spaces now. They don't need to do this sort of like public display of like allegiance type stuff there. Look at the school boards, look at these other local offices, look at the electoral boards that they're trying to infiltrate in all kinds of red states. It's a different game. And I think the focus needs to actually be on those kinds of things rather than like, oh, they've only got 100 people to show up for this. Yeah. It's like, yeah, well, they're doing stuff on every and every other channel. They're trying to figure out how to, you know, ensure that if they want to overthrow an election, willing people are in those positions to do it. Yeah, I think that uh, also established Democrats find that they have more success when they're on the defense. So Mm -hmm. they can't wipe these guys out because then they've got nothing to push back about. Well, yeah, because then they'd have to fix things. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Right. It's it's always the best excuse to not fix things is to be like, well, these other guys. Yeah. Yeah. Because if they weren't here, I would. Mm -hmm. Okay, well, then do it. Well... The filibuster, yeah. <laughs> you see. Well, then shut up. Yeah. 
All right, let's flush our systems uh, with a nice story of down-home activism uh, succeeding. You know, last summer, there were a lot of organizations and schools circulating lists of suggested books and other materials to help broaden people's perspective on race and white supremacy. You know, not... So anyway, like not all of them were done in good faith. That's probably, we can discuss that another time. But in York, Pennsylvania, their school district's diversity committee released a list of all kinds of great stuff for students, teachers, and parents to check out. And like clockwork, concerned parents stepped in. They couldn't process the demographic changes in their community and decided that the reason that their community was less white was because kids are reading books about American anti-black racism. Basically. Yeah, that seems yeah. the logic. At least that's the logic I've seen. It's like, well, yeah. this is causing more racism, huh? What? Yeah. What are you talking yeah. about? The, the, the comments at these school board meetings, and this is sort of pre the full-blown critical race theory screaming matches. Like this, this, this happened like sort of on the heels of the summer of last year. Parents were saying the same stuff. This is racist against white people. Like, there was like a children's book that was like about Rosa Parks. And it was like the most children's book I've ever seen. Like, I, I can't my kid reading this and then feeling guilty that they're white. No. Yeah. And I can tell that this book is what it's what it's going to say rather than like, you know, being about a kid's book that's humanizing all children and being like, there's nothing fucking different. So because of all this outrage, the school board banned the materials, or rather they said they're putting a freeze on the list until they had time to review it because they don't like the word banned. So the great thing is that the kids at this high school, they didn't let that stop them from educating themselves. And they certainly didn't appreciate the sort of like unilateral nature of these like books and articles and stuff just being restricted. So they started protesting daily. It started off with like a couple kids and then it grew into like the hundreds And they eventually created the Panther, I think, anti-racism union, student union. And I think their mascot's called the Panthers. But, you know, again, you love to see it. The great coincidence. They knew knew that was going to scare the shit out of Fox News. Yeah, their parents were like, ah, Panthers, no! So their voices were eventually heard. They were able to go to a school board meeting to, like, sort of speak up on what they thought. And this one student, Ida Gupta, said, our thoughts are being invalidated. There's only one portion of the community that this band represents, and it's not ours. Yeah. Yeah. And like it kicked off like a whole uh, like domino effect of, of support because they were so vocal. Like parents sort of were like, damn, OK, like I guess I should if, if the students also care, like there's ways for me to also get involved. The like the band books thing ended up with the, one of the authors of some of the books, this guy, Brad Meltzer, he came up to give comment like the library said, like, you know what? We don't care what the ban is like. We will fully stock all of these books and make them widely available. And then on Monday, this school board unanimously voted to unfreeze or whatever, unrestrict, whatever words they want to use those books and articles and documentaries. However, though, along the way, they were like mumbling stuff about socialism and like communism, even though it's unanimous. Like, well, you know, it's communism, obviously, like we got to keep it. Anyway, fine. It's unanimous. Yes. Communism, the famous communist principle of doing what the majority of people want to do. (laughs) Yeah, that's that's awesome. That's uh, very encouraging. I do keep coming back to this idea that people are like pointing to how like 
nationally unpopular like some of this shit is and like that like yeah the majority of people want like recognize that racism is wrong and for some reason it just popped in my head as we were doing this story i think it was like my inner uh, barometer was like this is getting too encouraging so i have to put something depressing in here that uh <laughs> Nazism was very unpopular, you guys. It was oh, no. pulled in the 30s for <laughs> decades. Uh, and and then they, like, below the 30s, and then they swept to power. They never won a popular election. So, yeah. you know, as long as this is hanging around, as long as they're trying to silence people who are telling the truth, you know, we, we can't be safe unless we're, you know, constantly fighting this shit like these kids did. It, it, it's I mean, it's like we said earlier, the established power just coming in and saying, well, this is what this is what people want. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, and that not reflecting those opinions at all. Yeah. Well, one of their high school teachers like sort of gave this comment. He's like, man, these kids are like heroes. Like, you know, like, I can't believe like the effort they put into this. And that's like everything they did is commendable. But then, you know, it's just sort of like this idea that he was sort of pointing out is like, you know, most Americans and school children and most parents, they support this kind of educational material for their kids. Mm -hmm. Like mm -hmm. and and they know that it's actually unfortunately it's part of American history, but it must be taught. So it, it's just like a good a, a feel good story in that sense. But I think also like to your point about like Nazis and stuff, I think kids now are just or people now they have an ear for dog whistles like where yeah. before the dog whistle only resonated with the dogs you were trying to get whose attention you were trying right. to get because it wasn't right. resonating at that frequency for you to be aware of. And I think so many more people now, uh, you know, and, and in some cases to an extreme can be like can just sort of parse through things and understand like what's happening. And I think that's probably the best defense that we have is that people just general awareness of like what discrimination looks like in most of its right. forms that it's like hard to sort of like give it like a very you know, innocuous or euphemistic name of a bill or something and hope that right. no one notices. Right. I'm, yeah. I'm so blown away by the the idea that learning about racist history is going to make people feel guilty. Like, it, it might be my ego talking, but I'm like, I read about horrible racist white people in the past. And I'm like, oh, thank God I'm not like them. Like, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, it makes me kind of feel better about myself <laughs> right away. You're like, yeah. oh, good. There's a baseline, at least. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Doing better. Better. Above average. All right. I'm yeah, I'm not Nathaniel Bedford Forrest. Right. Good. That's a start. <laughs> we just learned yeah. about this guy, uh, Governor Morris. We did an episode about him and he was this very, very anti slavery founding father that we'd never heard of before. And, you know, we're my wife and I talking about our public education and not having been taught about this guy and wondering right. why he was so buried. And, you know, it's like because he makes everybody else look bad. But right. I think in not studying these things, we also lose out on learning about cool people like that who were doing the right thing. Right. Yeah. That there was someone standing up to them yeah. during the founding of the country. Because yeah. before you thought it was a hee, we love America. Sign right. it. Bye. Mm -hmm. And also like the way you're taught history. I remember I, I like when I was very young, I didn't think slavery existed until the Civil War. Right. Right. You know what I mean? Like that it yeah. was like a like it became a problem. And I'm like, there weren't slaves during the their wait, what? Mm -hmm. For a while? Huh. Uh -huh. Okay. Didn't realize that. I mean, like, so it's funny how even how 
like when slavery is even introduced to school kids, like in a textbook, it's almost like it's almost treating it in a vacuum. It's like, and then there was the Civil War because slavery happened that one day. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because <laughs> yeah, they were trying to do a slavery, and they the the good guys fought them off like the Avengers and one right. Yeah. And they'll they'll tell you, well, it was the times. That's how people just were. They didn't know any better. And then you learn that all these people did know better and said, hey, this is bad. Right. And Thomas Jefferson and everyone said no to that. So, yeah, yeah we're very clear. The, that wasn't a scene in uh, Hamilton, was it? <laughs> they left that one out. Where the one goes like, hey, yeah. y'all tripping about slavery, huh? Right. <laughs> like, hey, 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 come on, pipe down, pipe hey. down. We love Alexander. <laughs> like, they literally leave it unspoken. He's like, we know who's doing the planting. Right. And it's just right. like, oh, that's, that's actually like, not that's, good enough. Yeah, right. moving that's on. not an oh type moment. Yeah. I'm sorry, the bar is too low for that oh. <laughs> uh, all right, let's take a quick break, and we'll be right back. And we're back. And so, yeah, I wanted to talk about this Amazon AI cameras innovation <laughs> in uh, making the experience of being human uh just a little less livable and more like you're living in a dystopia yeah with our overseer technology we make sure all of our employees are working at their highest output possible so we've heard you know that that employees feel the need to wear adult diapers go to the bathroom in bottles in order to like keep up with the demands from Amazon that Amazon micromanages scheduling to the point that, you know, if you take a bathroom break, you are now behind schedule and you're going to lose money. And so earlier this year, it was announced that Amazon would be installing a wonderful new tool to continue in that direction, uh, AI powered cameras that go in the delivery vehicles and require drivers to sign biometric consent forms in order to keep their jobs. So that's always good when they're basically just saying, do this or you don't have a job anymore on something that is like the most fucking horrifying thing I could imagine signing off on biometric consent forms. I wouldn't even so, like sign that at a doctor's office. Right. It sounds <laughs> yeah. so fucked up. I'm like, no, uh, fuck you, fool. Biometric mm-hmm. consent? like i need to take your blood pressure i'm like okay okay fine do that and it all sounds creepy but when you take a a closer look you find it's even creepier than it sounds (laughs) Uh, so they supposedly flag dangerous behavior including looking at phones or even yawning a system will audibly correct you oh my audibly correct you with a robot voice yeah fuck off Yeah, so they are tracking vehicle location and movements, potential traffic violations, and potentially risky driver behavior such as distracted driving or drowsy driving. The the company that like created this technology and sold it to Amazon for like sixty one million dollars, I think, insisted that their product was made with the driver's best interest in mind, so drivers won't be victimized. Which would be easier to swallow if they didn't then sell their cameras to fucking Amazon, who just uh, had to pay $61 million settlement after the FTC showed that they were uh, screwing their drivers out of their tips. Wow. They What they did is they lowered the driver's wages, but then used the tips to make up the difference so mm-hmm. the drivers wouldn't know 
that they had had their wages lowered. And so the cameras, which were announced earlier this year, have now been rolled out in many markets. The complaints from workers have been numerous and often horrifying. One driver uh, is worried the cameras will film her changing the adult diapers she has to wear while making deliveries for Amazon. God, they haven't even fuck. I mean, like the fact that they're still like, oh, yeah, there's we still they still have to wear diapers if they need to use the bathroom because we haven't loosened that. And on Mm -hmm. top of it, there will be a camera fucking recording. All that is yikes. Yeah, the right. We already know that drivers peeing in water bottles is a frequent occurrence. So like they force you to do inhuman things that your body can't handle and then film you while doing it. So you feel like your privacy is being invaded drivers are getting distracted driver notifications for simply changing the radio station or drinking water which two things that it's been said human beings should be allowed to do (laughs) drivers uh get in trouble if another car cuts them off in traffic which prompts a warning about maintaining a safe distance from what uh, one driver described as a dystopian dark robotic voice And sometimes they get written up for not stopping at stop signs that aren't even there. And so these events are recorded and used to tabulate a driver's score at the end of the week, which then determines if they're eligible for their bonuses. Despite like all those glitches, the scoring is not at all transparent and there's no like appeals process. So it's just like, yeah, fucking horrifying. Yeah, it really I mean, is. you couldn't you couldn't like make your work more dehumanizing than mm-hmm. to do shit like this to someone who's working. You yeah. know, like the fact that it's like sensors are going off because of your bodily functions or your right. impulse to yawn or entertain yourself, change the radio, whatever. And some things like eh, you are you are displaying too much human behavior. Mm-hmm. Automaton, yeah. get back! Like it's. I can't think of any other way to describe this except for it's monitoring people for being human. Yes, exactly. Showing too much human, too much humanity. Uh, I can't decide if it'd be worse or better if it wasn't the dystopian dark robot voice. Like if they got, you know, Jennifer Connelly or something, like it's just her voice telling you to stop being human. It's almost more dehumanizing, right? Oh, yeah. (laughs) I prefer to be like definitely going to be the next. Yeah. It's definitely going to be the next, it, you know, the way that like Waze has like Boy George and Arnold right, Schwarzenegger right. doing the, yeah, they're for sure going to be like, guys, good news, problem solved. <laughs> uh, we've paid many different celebrities to, we've Would actually you like Esther Perel to tell you to stop <laughs> pooping yourself or Oprah. They, so by paid them, we actually just recorded their voices when they were interacting with our Alexa devices and then used an uh, algorithm to right. make it sound right. like they were saying these things. <laughs> but yeah, so they are claiming, Amazon's claiming that the cameras have reduced accidents by 48%. I'm assuming that is like the uh, scoring system, not something they're opening up for review. Mm-hmm. But According to drivers, the cameras actually make things less safe in many ways. Uh, if they so much as look in their side mirrors to change lanes, they get a distracted driver alert. Not to mention the constant beeping creates a massive distraction to drivers on the road. And even if it did create a drop in accidents in the short term, it's absolute existential violence that is going to come out in the wash somewhere. Like Amazon's main innovation that has made them so massive is to push humans to the breaking point of 
just like inhumane treatment and hide it in spaces like warehouses and delivery vehicles where the public can't see it. And like it's it's unsustainable, but they just, you know, because they're so unregulated, because we live in a moment where capital just has all the power and they are have the most capital, like we're just not we're not seeing it any, anywhere other than people just being like, this fucking sucks, you guys. Like, we, we this is not any way to live. Oof. A friend of mine up in Michigan uh, was working for Amazon and, and refused to sign this and was told he wouldn't be fired if he didn't sign it, but he wouldn't be eligible to drive the vans anymore and therefore wouldn't be given any deliveries to do. So basically, oh, okay. like, just would have to quit because he wasn't working there anymore basically your employment status will be frozen you're not being fired you're being frozen yep yeah it was already a thing up there because he he was a driver for it wasn't he didn't even work directly for amazon it was a small delivery company which amazon employed many of so that they didn't know one company had enough employees to unionize right yikes yeah right and also it helps them with liability for mm-hmm. accidents and mm-hmm. shit like that. Yeah, and then everyone can move to one of those Amazon towns. Yeah. Right. You know, yeah. Oh, where, those are coming. They're, yeah, just just work and we'll we'll give you everything you need. Oh yeah. yeah. I'm waiting for the for rentals, real estate, uh, for Amazon to get into that game. Yeah. I mean that's, prime discount on your rent. I mean, I'm honestly like that's what those Amazon like the, those company towns are gonna eventually right. turn into, you know, right. like where like I'm, I you know, like there's probably going to be a world where it's like, hey man, you can like suffer under this other version of capitalism, or come to our dystopia like mm-hmm. like diet slavery town, mm-hmm. and come by and you know you're we'll tell you you're late from your apartment <laughs> because we know where you are and it'll and but hey, all your needs will be met and you just mm-hmm. give your life to Amazon. Soon we just plug you into the machine, use your body as a battery, right and. Uh... <laughs> And don't tell the Wachowskis because we kind of got the idea from the Matrix, but hey, it's a good idea. It's a yeah. good idea. Uh, have we covered Amazon Towns on on the show? Uh, no, I don't think so. I mean, it's something I've I throughout the day of just reading all the, the nightmares of stories. Yeah, let's we'll talk we'll talk more on Coming Amazon soon Towns. Yeah, to episode of Daily Zeitgeist near you. Yeah. All right, let's talk about tomatoes. Mm-hmm. You know, Miles, you said you have a kind of love-hate relationship with the yeah, nightshade. I, I have the famous um, red nightshade. I, as a kid, hated them. Could not stand them on anything. I hated them on sandwiches. I'd always pick, mm. like, raw. T- if it was raw, I just did not like it. I could always, pasta was fine. Uh, like, pasta sauce, like, things like that were fine. Like, ketchup, obviously. But, like, when it came to raw tomatoes, I just had this, like, I couldn't, I didn't like the taste. Sometimes the texture would be weird. An unripe tomato like would ruin a sandwich for me as a kid. And I was like, ah, like when it's white. Or like, yeah. Yeah. And Ugh. eventually, like, I came around. I got older. I tried more. I, I, I found new ways to enjoy tomatoes, like, you know, caprese <laughs> salad or like salsa. Right. Like, I didn't even like certain salsa sometime. Like, uh, like if it was like pico de gallo or something, like if it wasn't super sauced up, I'd kind of be like, Ugh. but then I I, part of me just like grew up. I felt like where I was like, it's not that bad. And when you eat it with other stuff, like it's actually enjoyable, which brings me to this piece that was uh, they they mentioned in the takeout about this Duke student who wrote an op ed 
for the student paper there, the Duke Chronicle, to go off on the like cafeteria sort of their love with like just putting tomatoes on everything. And the way this person describes like scenarios in which tomatoes work or don't work, I think it spoke directly to me and it encapsulated my exact beliefs on tomatoes for the most part. And I just want to just read some of this because it is next level writing. He says, could you uh, read it in a Civil War soldier writing home? Uh, <laughs> yeah, play, be helpful play like, a, a, like a <laughs> listless banjo a picking fiddle. in the yeah. back. Yeah. Yeah. Upon taking the first bite of the sandwich, my tongue was <laughs> assaulted by an acrid tanginess that instantly overwhelmed any other flavor. Worse, the texture was that of wet rubber, chewy <laughs> and fibrous yet unnervingly moist and slippery. Another ingredient was present, and there was more of it than even the avocado that was crucial to the name of the sandwich. Once again, Duke Dining had tricked me into eating something with tomato. Let's step back for a moment and examine the tomato as a fruit. The taste of a tomato is pretty good. Even if it's strong, it's sweet, tangy, just a little bit acidic, and surprisingly savory. Not my favorite, but I can understand why others enjoy it. The texture is more of a mixed bag with some parts that are relatively rubbery and an uncomfortable amount of juiciness, but it too has its time and place. Even if my personal preferences are against this particular fruit, it does have some value to it. Unfortunately, tomato is forced well outside of its appropriate context. The taste can be very overwhelming. Imagine mm. putting even a small amount of ketchup on mac and cheese. Even more so, the texture only works in a very few settings. This is why many iconic tomato dishes like pizza and salsa use tomato sauce or crushed slash chopped tomatoes rather than the wet rubber composite that defines a whole tomato. Mm. So he goes on to say, like, I get it. I respect the tomato. It's a great <laughs> thing. but there's a time and a place for it. And the, his main gripe, though, it's more about how he says that the Duke, like, dining company, like, the people that handle, like, the cafeteria stuff, they're putting it on everything. Like, he just <laughs> yeah. doesn't even understand why it's showing up on certain things. I am 100% on board with this take. I th I think the tomato should be regarded like baking soda or, like, flour as, like, a thing that is a great ingredient. For uh, some of my favorite, <laughs> we just foods. Don't eat the powder. But don't just like fucking give me the powder raw, dude. Like that, that sucks. It's terrible. Like pizza with whole tomatoes is so much worse than pizza that has tomato sauce. Uh, I am personally uh, of the opinion that pico de gallo is worse than any salsa with like stewed or like kind of canned tomatoes that have that you know, are a little bit more gloppy and have been... Uh, or just have more flavors because it's just, it's yeah. really simple. It's like, you know, cilantro, onions, and, and tomato versus like mm. you getting chilies and things like that. Yeah. Eli, where do you stand? I mean, as a vegetarian, right. um, I guess the qu first question I'd ask you is, can you eat a tomato just straight raw, nothing on it, not just straight up, just slices dry? I I can, and I have. Uh, not okay. Not often. I'm with the pizza is my line, like sliced tomatoes cooked on a pizza is too much. I can't I can't get with that. Mm. But uh, but I'm pro tomato. I'll, I'll eat tomatoes on, on on most things without a problem. Yeah. Like ketchup, ketchup. He gets into ketchup on mac and cheese and stuff. And that's a whole other world. And I, I, I'm, yeah. I'm yeah. not OK with that. Let's not even yeah. let's not yeah. explore that. I mean, yeah. the, the, yeah. I mean, that's the, a bit of a straw, man. Nobody over the age of six puts ketchup right. on mac and cheese. <laughs> like, why? Why ask us to imagine that? Just to like, <laughs> you're <laughs> wasting <the> <laughs> valuable space with that right. sentence. 
But yeah, I mean, I, I, the thing is like tomatoes, as he goes on to say, it's like, it shouldn't be treated as like an, like a omni topping, like that you can put it on everything. And I, I get that too. I think more, the thing that really puts me off is when shit isn't ripe. Like, don't yeah, just yeah. put, don't just force yeah. it in there. If it's not ripe, don't put it in there. Yeah. Cause there's nothing worse than a young ass tomato that is like just really like you're like, am I eating like a watermelon rind? Like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> that part really gets me off, but or not gets me off, puts me off. Uh, hey, whatever it does it for you, man. Yeah. Hey, look, thank you. No judgment here. But I think like the other thing is there are times I really like it in there. It, it does bring an added dose of like moisture and, you know, a, a texture to a sandwich. But I can't say it, it can be on everything. That's just. Yeah, I, that's how that's fair. Yeah. I wonder, I think, in the vegetarian experience, like, tomato is a lot of substance on your sandwich. Like, you kind of have to have it or you lose a half inch of your sandwich, which is, right. which is already going to be lacking compared to most people's sandwiches. Right, right, right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, I, and, I'm, and I'm fine with it. But in that place, like, let's make sure they're ripe. Make yeah. sure they're ripe, Dad. Yeah. Because yeah. there's only a few. I mean, like, I'll eat cucumbers without anything. I'm, I'm, I, love oh, yeah. a, I love a great cucumber. I don't need shit to eat like a like a little persian cucumber or something mm -hmm, like that mm -hmm. but a tomato unfortunately just for me i think i think that's sort of the difference is like it's one of those things like on its own by itself it i i'm not fully on board with that flavor deep down and i have to right. I, i've had to accept that and i'd argue cucumbers are harder to fuck up than tomatoes like cucumbers are just generally like good on everything my only thing with cucumbers is that they dominate flavor like yeah, if I've they, got a sandwich they do cucumber have cucumber on strong. it. I am, cucumber is the number one taste I'm getting. Yeah, unless yeah, you take the, the skin but... a little bit, if you peel it a little bit, you know what mm -hmm. I mean? Yeah, yeah, and yeah, that, yeah. that gives it a less, little bit of a less of an edge. But it. yeah, I mean, again, I don't mean to say I dislike tomatoes. I do like tomatoes and I have, they're just for me, I get, it's a very context specific thing. And I think that's what maybe this op-ed was powerful in raising mm -hmm. my awareness mm -hmm. that I'm like, oh, this is a context fruit. Yeah. And not a on everything type. I order salads without tomatoes. Like I ask, like I specifically like say no tomatoes, please. Like when I, if I'm ordering a salad, the it, this did like kind of bring to my attention like that. I love like tomatoes as an ingredient. Tomatoes might be my favorite ingredient because I right. love marinara sauce. I love salsa. Like those are two of my favorite like things in the world to eat. But I just do not fuck with the raw tomato <laughs> on its own thank you for uh giving my life meaning and purpose young 19 year old <laughs> yeah <laughs> essentially this, this is probably just, a freshman right who's like going to the dining hall like I probably like just like uh, yeah. just a kid too smart for his own good and he's like yeah. you know what and like his friend's like dude that's so funny the way you're like taking it down like that because all his bros are like dude fuck bro tomatoes on this again <laughs> and he has to go back and just say like this this there's this one line where he's like it's a mistake they make frequently at a variety of venues and he starts calling out the individual places on campus obviously twinnies has snuck tomatoes into many innocent looking meals but nearly every sandwich sandwich offering at calf includes tomatoes and so do many of the crepes that part i'm like oh no many of the crepes yeah and oh. almost every bed bound bread bound bite to eat at pitchforks comes with tomato on it from the burger and the fried chicken sandwich to the moderately more appropriate salsa on tacos. Even beloved campus eatery, the loop slap slices onto most of their dishes. 
like don't put tomato on a on a fried chicken sandwich. Don't do that. Because uh, you're interfering nice, with the crunch. Yeah. I love a nice crepe with uh some Nutella, banana, and a big fucking slice of tomato <laughs> oh, right in God. there. Just a juicy ass <laughs> yeah, piece of just mm. half a just half that thing. Don't even slice <laughs> it, just half it <laughs> smush it up in there. Uh Eli, it's been a pleasure having you, man. Hey, it's been great being here. Where can people uh find you and follow you? You find me uh, on Twitter and Instagram, I'm at oh great it's Eli on both. There you go. You can find our show Ridiculous Romance at Ridic Romance on both those platforms as well. There you go. Yeah. Uh, and is there a tweet or some of the work of social media you've been enjoying? You know, just this morning I came across a tweet from uh, Dana Schwartz, who's a really funny comedian, mm-hmm. and it just said, "Wizards knew about the Holocaust and used none of their magic to help." And I didn't know what that meant, but it turns out it's the premise for the new Fantastic Beasts movie is called The Secrets of Dumbledore. And it is about the wizard's involvement leading up to World War II. Oh, no. And I can't imagine why. Like, I think I was I think we were all better off just assuming that that you those two universes didn't exist in the same place. Honestly, like I was better off never even thinking about the wizards and the Nazis at the same time in my right. head. So yeah. I don't know why this is the premise for the new movie. <laughs> but apparently, that, it is. that's that's supposed to endear them. I you guess. Know, like, or there's going to be like, or is it like trying to like justify like the city? Like, hey, it was a, it was a tough time, man. It's a complicated <laughs> time, even though they had powers no human had ever seen. Uh-huh. They weren't sure if they should help these other people who were in dire straits. That's that's amazing. That like the the whole Harry Potter like universe is kind of based around a Nazi metaphor, but then it's like kind of an imperfect one. So mm-hmm. it's funny that they're like, yeah, they're not Nazis at all. They, we were never saying that, actually. Yeah. And uh, so here is what I've also had the thought that, like, the wizarding world is kind of like the Confederate South in the sense that they, like, never learned to do anything because they were just always reliant on this, <laughs> like, horrifying thing that made everything super easy for them. Mm. Mm-hmm. but that's a it's a longer discussion yeah miles where can people find you what's a tweet you've been enjoying twitter instagram at miles of gray also the other show 420 day fiance with sophie alexandra come check that out a tweet that i like wow what is got a got a couple good ones the first one is from uh taming fred savage at fred taming uh <laughs> tweeted alive you may be entitled to compensation <laughs> which just feels uh, like about right about the yeah. mood right now. I think I'm old. Uh, this this can't be. There must be a class action suit I can get in on for <laughs> for life being like this. And then literary agent needing jerk at uh, Rajan Delman tweeted, "Call me maybe is ten years old. The popularity of the song has officially outlasted the concept of calling someone on the phone and hopefulness. Hey, there it is. So, yeah. And hopefulness. <laughs> so, yeah, a few concepts that we talked about today. Let's see. Pat Regan tweeted, I think there should be an Oscar category called TV show that gets an Oscar, actually, uh, which I think is a good idea. <laughs> the oh, Eli Kremendahl, two days in a row, tweeted, remembering... 
the time I started a new job and nobody told me what to do. So I spent two full weeks just scrolling Instagram before finally asking my manager what my job was. Office jobs are a literal joke, which <laughs> ties in nicely with our conversation yesterday about bullshit jobs. Yeah. And then uh, Eric Curtin tweeted, you're in our DMs. She's actually a catfish account I created. You're in my DMs. We are dating now. I love you so much. <laughs> You can find me on Twitter at Jack underscore O'Brien. You can find us on Twitter at Daily Zeitgeist. We're at The Daily Zeitgeist on Instagram. We have a Facebook fan page and a website, dailyzeitgeist.com, where we post our episodes and our footnotes, where we link off to the information that we talked about in today's episode, as well as a song that we think you might enjoy. Miles, what song are we sending people to go? Oh, this is a treat. And maybe a treat for people who love, you know, dub, reggae, old school, you know, Trojan type stuff uh, from back in the day. But there's this artist named Pachi Man. And I played a song. Oh, what the fuck? I never heard of this like dub artist. This is this dude, Pachi Garcia, who's uh, this Puerto Rican artist who is currently making like reggae dub songs, but like quite literally honoring the same recording techniques of the of his predecessors and it sounds so authentically just like of the time it blows my mind and i just love like when musicians and producers put in like that level of effort to really try and replicate like to the like the tape sound or the tape they use to yeah. get these tracks going so this is a modern song that you're gonna think came out of the fucking late 60s early 70s from jamaica but it's actually uh, Patchy Man, P-A-C-H-Y-M-A-N and this track is called Guy Goodwin and all the stuff is just so dope to listen to um, and if you like that group Krungbin who I've called out a few times on the show he's actually touring with them um, so that would probably be a dope show to check out. Yeah, yeah. Alright, well The Daily Zeitgeist is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app Apple Podcast or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. That's going to do it for us this morning. But hey, we're back this afternoon to tell you what is trending and we'll talk to you all then. Bye. Bye.